I want to welcome you today on this uh, 4th of July weekend as we celebrate independence as a nation. I think uh, more importantly as believers we celebrate independence from our bondage from the enemy who had us uh, enslaved and entrapped in sin and those of us who know the freedom in Christ understand what really true freedom really means and we sing we sing uh, on two levels of that really on this day and um, while it is a fabulous thing to celebrate that uh, Psalm 33:12 says um, blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord and and that is really uh, what's at stake when it comes to uh, true independence and nations are made up of individuals who who know and love God and the blessings that come upon a nation when there are people within it who do love the Lord and it serves as a preserving element um, in this country and others and we pray that um, that that salt and light continues to um, resound in America and uh, I wanted to say um, I had a wonderful, wonderful last week at work. Um, uh, Thursday was my final day um, at the Rapid City Police Department, and what an amazing honor and tribute I received from the employees there, my, my peers and, and partners. Uh, I, it blew me away. I did not expect that. Uh, we filled up a room of uh, different people, all that just had such wonderful, positive things to say, and you kind of don't know your your impact on a place until you leave. It's like, I wish you guys would have said some of these things. No, no, no. It's, it's one of those things where we, we walk by faith, do we not? Because I had no idea. Some people told stories um, about how I impacted them and what I said. I didn't remember the conversations. I honestly thought some of them were making them up. And guys saying I pulled them into offices and either gave them encouragement or straightened them out or whatever was, was needed for the moment. And I, I honestly really didn't remember much of it. But one of the things I regretted is wishing I would have had more faith that I was having an impact even when it didn't feel like I was having an impact. You know what I'm saying there. You, you, you just kind of get into the drudgery of it and then you realize in the end that people were really moved and, and impacted by even little things that, that I had done. So fabulous close of a chapter. Um, my chapters tend to be long, by the way. That was 22 years, and so I probably only have one chapter left in this book, but um, I, I tend to have really long chapters, so pray for me in the next um, phase or whatever that may be. I, I'm going to be assisting a friend at WDT who has for some time um, asked that I help with a, a very flourishing uh, law enforcement program there. It'll be much, much uh, reduced workload than, than what I currently or did have. And it'll allow me more ministry opportunity as well. So I'm hoping to even be fresher, better, sharper, maybe even more often um, in your lives in a little more tangible sense. So, um, but definitely time of transition for our family, and, and we do appreciate your prayers. Uh, today, if you're visiting with us, we are landing the series on the attributes of God. Preached the last attribute on his justice last week, and I promised a Q&A time. And this is, uh, this is always a fun little family time where we can get to know what's on each other's minds. And if you have questions about that series, I would ask that, you know, you kind of narrow your topic to those um, attributes. It doesn't have to be. If you're really itching about something, we can uh, get that off your mind. And even one another as uh, brothers and sisters can help answer that question. We're going to have a couple mics out here and uh, some, some individuals will help get that, those to you. 
And uh, don't be at all afraid um, to give your insights onto some of these as well. We saw this already in the morning service that you who also possess the Spirit of God in you um, can, can weigh in a little bit on some of these uh, topics that may come up. And I don't know what's going to come up. This is unscripted here. I don't, uh, I don't necessarily have a, a plan. And I don't even know what I'm going to say. So this, it feels weird coming here without a sermon. Uh, but we'll just uh, we'll write it as we, as we go here. And uh, before we begin, I, I have asked uh, Nicholas on, uh, on their last Sunday here to, to come and read a portion of scripture that kind of sets the tone for really where we've, we've come in this uh, entire series. As we consider uh, the Lord Jesus Christ as the model and really pinnacle of all of these attributes and his uh, death on the cross and what that resulted um, for each of us. So, Nicholas, if you wouldn't mind coming up and we'll set that up for you here and Let's listen as he reads. <clears throat> Second Corinthians chapter 5, 17 through 21. Therefore, if any man is in Christ, he is a new creature. The old things passed away. Behold, new things have come. Now all these things are from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Namely, that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and he has committed to us the word of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, as though God were entreating through us. We beg you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. He made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Thank you, buddy. All right, let's join our hearts together in prayer. <clears throat> our Father, we come before you as your children so desperately in need of you and the life which you provide. And Lord, as we consider our lives and that we are creatures so often of this world, we understand from your word that if we are found in Christ this morning, we are a new creature, a new creation. Father, we bless your name that the old things have indeed passed away, and we are so grateful for that. And we are excited that new things have come. Father, we... We thank you that you have taken us out of darkness and transformed us into the kingdom of your beloved Son. And Lord, that we know that all of these good things come from your hand. We've studied your goodness and that you have planned this redemption long ago. You've overlooked our, our wickedness and our sinfulness, and you have come to us with the purpose of reconciliation in mind. Lord, we know how important reconciliation can be even in our own lives, many relationships lie fractured. Many personalities in their stubbornness choose to be unreconciled, Lord. But that was not you. That was not your heart. You came revealing yourself in Christ and giving the ministry of reconciliation to a world who did not know you. We thank you that you've revealed yourself in your attributes. We thank you that your son perfectly modeled each of these attributes and it resulted in you not counting our trespasses against us. Lord, 
For if you would regard iniquity, it would reach to the heavens. But Father, thank you that as far as the east is to the west, you have cleansed us and you've purged us and you have drowned our sins in the depths of the sea. Thank you that you have now committed unto us this ministry of reconciliation, Lord, and this is why we preach. This is why we teach and evangelize. And this is why we even plead with with others that they too would be reconciled to Christ, Lord, for we don't want this reality of your blessings in our lives to just be upon ourselves, Lord, but we pray for our loved ones who stand unreconciled right now, who are enemies of the cross, Lord. We would pray specifically for them this morning that you would make them friends of the cross, that you would make them your children. And through us, Lord, that we would be able to entreat them and plead with them to be reconciled to God in Christ. And Father, most of all, this morning, we bless your name for making him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf. Lord, you made the innocent guilty, and you made the guilty innocent. And Lord, we will forever bless you for that truth. And to consider and fathom the thought that we, as a result, become the righteousness of God in him. Lord, that is unfathomable for us that we actually possess now because we are in Christ. We possess the very righteousness of God, which we've learned of, Lord. So we are so grateful. We're eternally indebted to you. Lord, give us strength and energy now this day as we consider our individual callings before you. And Lord, thank you for this time of worship, Lord. Um, begin working in the hearts and minds today of all of us as um, we rely upon your guidance um, in the questions, in the comments and insights, um, in the impact of this series uh, upon this body. Thank you for the opportunity for having taught this, Lord, and may, um, may it continue to be a source of strength for us uh, in the days to come. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen, amen. Well, <clears throat> all right, so we have, uh, let me just explain a couple of handouts here today before we get in here. Um, uh, we... Um, we have studied the attributes of God and our, uh, I, I wrote down kind of, you know, where we began. And if you remember when I first began this series, I challenged us to the importance of it by reminding us that when we study the attributes of God, it is the attributes of God that really stimulates uh, heartfelt worship in our hearts and, and minds. So many churches adopt gimmicks when it comes to how do we stir up worship? How do we get this, uh, this emotional feel in our worship? And so frequently they miss the fact that it is the attributes of God that allow those, um, th that spirit of worship to actually thrive. And I said that, you know, if you don't have a big God, you need a big program. You need a big church gimmick. You know, you, you need a, a, a big uh, billboard to, to draw people in if you don't have a big God. And I, I hope that by this series, as we taught, that you developed a breathtaking view of God and that that, that, that results in breathtaking worship because we said that, that it's theology that produces doxology and it's not the other way around. You can't sing your way into high, high theology. You, you start with high theology, big view of God, and that causes you to sing and worship and, and praise God. I hope also that it produced a certain amount of humility in you. I know it did me as I look at these attributes. 
and I just look at the smallness of myself, right, in the light of the greatness of God. And we saw that with the book of Isaiah when we looked at the holiness of God. And it wasn't so much that it was the first time Isaiah saw God, but it was. But it was also the first time Isaiah saw Isaiah and his sinfulness and his smallness. And so studying the attributes of God creates humility. Uh, I also said that I hope that it matured us, that it would mature us, and I hope it did. I hope you're stronger than you were prior to the series starting. I hope you're more spiritually developed and capable of sustaining more trial and, and difficulty with more dignity in light of the, the truth of God being within us. And it being the basis of our ministry and encouragement. Remember, Spurgeon said the sovereignty of God, that attribute he chose to be the pillow upon which he would rest his head. And, and you could choose that or many other attributes. I also want to just say before we begin, I gave you a little bit of homework um, this time. In your bulletins, you should each have this uh, a little summary of all the attributes. And I think I titled this, uh, what is it, something like the uh, attributes of God in Christ on the cross and in everyday living or something like that. And why I gave this to you is I, I want you to work on your own, maybe this week or in the weeks to come, with tying some of these um, attributes that we've studied into the life of Christ and then into your own lives as well. For instance, you could take the attribute of God's eternity and say, ask yourself the question, how did Christ model this? Or how do we see eternity in Christ? Well, we see it in a lot of ways, right? When you look at his life, he talked a lot about eternal life. This is eternal life, to know God. And so we, we kind of trace it that way. Um, you could also uh, address how it's manifested in the cross. Like, for instance, Revelation 13.8 says that Jesus was slain before the foundation of the world and a reference to eternity, or that we were in Christ really from eternity past. There's, there's all different ways to see this. And then how do we apply this to life? One application is rejoicing in the fact that we now have this eternal life because of our relationship to the eternal Christ and his relationship to the eternal Father. And so just tying those in, uh, you could pick sovereignty here. Sovereignty of God, we studied that, that he rules all things and nothing surprises him and he has a plan and he's executing his sovereign plan. How is this modeled by Christ? Jesus said in Matthew 28, 18, that all authority is given unto me. Well, how does Jesus say that? If all authority is belonging to God and God alone, Jesus then claims all authority has then been given unto him. So you could jot down that scripture. How is this manifested in the cross? God's sovereignty, Acts 2.23, this man delivered over by the predetermined plan and foreknowledge of God, you nailed to a cross. So here, God's sovereignty using the plans and ill will of man results in a, or in the manifestation of a predetermined plan and foreknowledge of God designing, affecting this from all eternity. And then the application to that in life is if Christ could trust himself into the sovereignty of God and even submit to godless men who were nailing him to the cross, could we not trust him in our difficulties and challenges and such as we apply it to Christian living? And so that's the idea by this. Uh, I just thought it'd be a good little way for you, maybe even as a family, to work some of these attributes that we studied and they're all listed there. You will notice there's a couple that I did not get to, and I'll, uh, I'll try to get to those later. There's, uh, we did not hit majesty, 
that's a wonderful um, um, the truth about God that he clothes himself in majesty and beauty and splendor. And, and that's a fabulous study. Um, <clears throat> we didn't talk about wisdom, which is the application of his knowledge in that every circumstance in the world, including your life, is thought and, aware, uh, and, and uh, God is aware of every bit of that in your life and is working towards uh, a wise and, and um, wonderful outcome. Uh, truthfulness of God is a very important one, especially in our day where truth is up for grabs and it's kind of your truth and my truth, et cetera, et cetera. But um, those are just some things that uh, we'll want to pay attention to, and I hope that that will be helpful to you. So uh, here's a point where uh, you now come in, and um, just a couple of ground rules here. This is, uh, this is not stump the preacher. You could easily do that. That job would be way too easy for you. And it's just more, um, you can either offer a question or maybe if this series impacted you in a certain way, I'd love to hear that. You don't have to have a question. Uh, a lot of the questions today were also partly answered by you in the congregation as well. So I take no, I mean, no, no pride or, or humility here, you know, at, at stake. It's just um, however we can, as a body, move forward with this study. And then um, I'm thinking about tackling more of an expositional approach in the weeks to come um, on uh, maybe studying some books of the Bible or something um, rather than the themes that we were doing here. So yeah, well, let's go with that. Um, we've got a couple of mics that'll be brought around if we, if we need you front or back and um, <clears throat> fire away with whatever's on your mind today. And, and here's, a, here's a ground rule. Don't save your question until after the, the time here. I got uh, bombarded with questions after the service. Now, we're trying, to help, we're trying to help everybody here, and I'm not mad about that. I, I like that too. Can't believe everybody's bashful this morning, so I'll start out. Um, one of the things that has happened to me is that God has become bigger God is smarter. God is more holy. God is more sovereign. And but the kicker is, God doesn't change. So that means I did. So that's a really great thing. And uh, we were very privileged in our small group that Eli wrote us questions. So during the week on Thursday nights, we got to spend another hour and a half studying his sermon. And it was through Zoom because we couldn't meet. And one of the questions that we came up with was, we all realize that God is all-knowing. He's omniscient. And he knows the past, the present, and the future. And he knew that man was going to screw up. He knew and he provided a way before he even created the world that he was going to have to sacrifice his son. So why did he even create us at all? Yeah, that's a, that's a powerful question. And the question is um, just asking it. Does the question not just kind of bring you up to the heavenlies? Like, yeah, God, why? I mean, have you ever asked, why me? And I think of that when I think of my own testimony and the life I was living, going nowhere fast, and then all of a sudden, God grabs a hold of me and opens my eyes, and then when you seriously look back and you say, 
you knew I was going to disobey you. You knew I was going to dishonor you. And same thing for your own Christian life. And then you still provided this way. But Ted's question runs even deeper, really trying to unscrew the inscrutable here. God knew this before he even created us. And this is a reflection of his omniscience and his infinite wisdom that he had a plan from eternity past to redeem a people who he knew would fall of their own free choice in the garden Adam and Eve rebelled against him he knew it would happen and yet he still paid the ultimate price by sending his own son why did this happen well obviously God does nothing that does not have his glory as his ultimate objective he will he will only act in ways that will bring him maximum glory. And you say, well, how does sin bring him glory? How does, how does the fall, man's lapsus, if you will, the theologians refer to it as, how does that bring him glory? That's disobedience, and that's, uh, that's against his law and against his word. Well, the answer lies in the fact is in the attributes of God, actually. And that there are attributes of God, and here's where it gets very mysterious, there are attributes of God which can only be revealed in the context of a sinful world. You remember the reference in um, 1 Peter where the angels, this salvation, a- into which angels long to look. And they long to look for a reason, that they have never experienced grace. They have never experienced forgiveness. They have never experienced personally the, the um, mercy of God. And, and yet you and I have. We are, we are one up on the angels. But had we not fallen, had God not allowed us to be in a state of need, we would have never known these attributes. In fact, he, he could have stopped at, he could have given us justice right away, right? We've talked about this. He could have ended Adam and Eve's, Eve's life immediately, just as he could have ended your life and my life as we lived in that phase of disobedience to him. And, and yet he said to himself, essentially, I, I can show justice and I will show justice, but now I will manifest mercy and grace and forgiveness and long-suffering and patience. And those attributes would be hidden uh, to us. We would have never known them personally. And they'd also be hidden from the angels. The angels long to look. At least they can watch, they can see, and they can maybe ask us questions. What is it like to be forgiven when we get to heaven? And we can interact with them. But even the angels would have suffered as a result of that. So this is not to say that God, um, um, you know, uh, drives that decision and, and puts evil in man's heart to say, in a sense, I'm going to make man sin so that I can look better. That, that is not God at all. But, but God does make man in such a way that, that he can choose, and Adam did choose with, with Eve, and yet turn it to bring him maximum glory. Now we see a fullness of God's glory put on complete display. And in the end, this just seemed good in his sight. This, we just have to surrender to that reality that this, this is how he designed things to be and we simply are the beneficiaries of it. So good question. Yeah, that's a, that's a tough one there. Yeah, and, and please state your name before you ask. Just so I, I apologize. It'll help me kind of learn names a little bit better too. Hi, I'm Rich Cunningham. 
I have been wondering lately, do we each have a guardian angel? Is there scripture anywhere in the Bible that says we each have our own guardian angel? Yeah, good question. Um, the, um, the answer to that is um, we have a ton of them. We have legions of them. And uh, guys like me need that many. Um, you know, there's, there's a difference, though. I should probably point out that there is a, um, there's kind of an aberrant doctrine of angels that are, um, that's out there a little bit that kind of abuses this concept of guardian angel, like we each have one that, that's named for us and such. But the reference where this uh, comes from is uh, actually Matthew 18. And uh, it is, um, it is, in the context of those little ones who believe in me, uh, causing them to stumble. And uh, let's see, where? Yeah, it's Matthew 18:10, And he's talking about the stumbling blocks and don't cause any of these little ones, referring to the children that were with Jesus that day, but making a reference to us as children of God those who by faith come into the kingdom. That's, we're all children in this regard. And then it says, See to it that you do not despise one of these little ones, for I say to you that they're angels in heaven. And it's a possessive there. The angels of them in heaven continually behold the face of my Father who is in heaven. And the reference there is that you need to handle these little ones cautiously. They're speaking of children, now speaking of children of the Father, because they're angels, and it's almost a sense are, are, are watching their Father's face. They're, they got maybe one eye on the, on the child of God and, and one on, on the, the Father, and, and they are waiting to execute a mission on behalf of this individual believer. So that's probably the closest scripture that we can find to suggest that we have, if you want to call them guardian angels, it's just their functions to serve God's bidding. And obviously that would be a role of protection and guidance. Um, uh, not that we would pray to those angels in that, in that aberrant sense of guardian. Well, you need to pray to your guardian angel. Nonsense. You know, you pray to God who, who's, and the angels watch God's face to execute his will on our behalf. And we also see in scripture other places where there are um, hierarchies of angels and authorities and such, all to do God's will and to bring him glory and to, to assist in the uh, affecting of his plan uh, for you and I uh, on earth. And I sometimes wonder if I've been, you know, I remember in some real near misses and accidents and such, and you just wonder, was there just an angel kind of like, boop, keep you on the road and, you know, <laughs> from spinning off and rolling over, and I've also seen horrific, horrific crashes where, uh, for whatever reason, uh, they walk away uh, un unscathed. And could it be? I believe so. They're there for a reason. But do we have, um, you know, the sense in which we don't worship them and we don't pray to the angels and things like that? So good question on that. Yeah, thank you. Hello, I'm Carrie Harkness. Hi, Carrie. Hey. Um, Thank you. You're 
just wonderful, praise the Lord. <laughs> um, my question, too, goes back to why he created us. And you know, his attribute of love, isn't it also that he wants to have a relationship with us and show us his love and then we can in turn, I mean, not j because I, I hear some people say, oh, God is just some arrogant guy who needs this praise and that's not true. <laughs> so I think partly too, isn't it that relationship that he wants to have with us? Why, let's make man in our image. He, yes. That's a big part of it too, Yes, right? you're absolutely right. And all of that references the fact that Christianity is that relationship and not the, the religion per se. I've said in other contexts that it does qualify under, under you know, the philosophical categories of a religion but it is a relationship with God. And I'm thinking of, um, um, I'm thinking of John 17 here where he's talking uh, about this relationship with us. Oh, and it's slipping me here. Um, but he's saying, um, he's, he mentions something here that you have loved Love them with the love which, with which you have loved me before the world began. I can't find, it's in John 17 somewhere there. But loving these individuals that Jesus is praying for, you and I, he was praying for, for, for me and you. And uh, he, he's saying that I have this magnificent love relationship with you, my father, before the world began. And, and I have come so that that your children can now experience this same relationship. And so to be sure, it is rooted in his attribute of love. And this is really probably, it's hard to say that there's any one core primary attribute of God. We, we argued for holiness, that he is separate from all creatures. But uh, love is probably the most predominant attribute of God, which we understand the most. We are made in his image. This is why we love. We love one another. We love our children. And this is why and how we love God, because he's designed us that way. And I would just say, if, depending where you're at in your walk with the Lord, if you don't have a, a relationship that's based on love, you, you're basing it on something that, that is otherwise works or whatever, uh, conditional. And, and it is that love that he uh, has designed for us to know and experience and to share with others. So good extension to Ted's uh, answer there, yeah. I'm Bruce Roberts. Bruce? Um, this piggybacks on Rich's question, but as we think of eternity past and there's Lucifer, you know, present, why did he rebel? Yeah, well, we get a little bit of commentary um, on that rebellion in a couple of the prophets in, I in Isaiah and in Ezekiel. And it seems, it seems to be that, they, um, that, that he, along with a rebellious legion of angels, had pride develop in his heart. And he's likening the king of, of Tyre in one of those references. It's a, it's a reference to the king of Tyre at the time, but it's also a veiled reference most believe to be um, to, to Satan himself who exalted himself above God. And that is where this, uh, this all starts from. It starts in the heart. 
And it's a, it's a very mysterious reality because so, you say, well, of course, it, uh, it started in his, in his heart, but why? And it, that's mysterious. We don't know why, but, but somewhere there was this desire, something which we all can relate to, to have the power, right? And to have the position. And to, to you know, we look at bosses this way. We look at corporations this way. And, and um, rebellious, carnal... Um, uh, attributes of, of man place him above other people. We rarely will put ourselves beneath other people, which is something we need to practice and do more of. And it, it speaks of, uh, of Satan possibly uh, commanding the dawn and having, having, um, uh, having or, or I'm sorry, that was the, uh, being the bright morning star, the, the, the star of the, of the dawn. And, and commanding the worship in heaven and, and all of the angels that would sing praise to God, and yet pride was found in his heart. That's the closest to that answer we can get, is that pride was found in your heart. Um, ultimately, we know that the only, way you, the only way you can have sin is to have a righteous standard. So for instance, you, you can't have lawlessness unless you have law. You, you can't have ungodliness unless you have God. So by very nature, God's nature being holy and pure and righteous, um, I don't want to say creates the reality, but it, it, it at least opens the possibility for rebellion against him. And yet in his sovereignty, he, he uh, controls and governs and allows that to occur for his greater glory very mysterious, but there are references to um, his own heart, and then, of course, the legions of angels that fell with him as well, um, now known as demons, uh, <clears throat> fallen angels. So hopefully that'll help you a little bit there. My name is John. I got a question. Hey, John? Is the angel of God in the Old Testament and the Holy Ghost the same? And if they are, how do you say Holy Ghost in Hebrew? And who named the angels? And if God named them, since you let Adam name the beasts of the earth, how did we get to know their names? Well, you're probably uh, making a reference to the angel of the Lord. Is that what you're referring to? That is, um, <clears throat> that is different than the um, Holy Spirit. Uh, Holy, Holy Ghost is a um, term that the King James Bible um, kind of coined. Uh, it's probably more appropriate to refer to the Holy Ghost as the Holy Spirit. He's not a ghost in the sense of, um, you know, Casper the Friendly Ghost or something like that. Uh, he, he, is, he is spirit. And so that is actually the third person of the Trinity. And Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, or Holy Ghost. It's not wrong to say that, but it's, it's, it's not really in the Greek. It's, it's spirit, or breath, or wind. And the, uh, the angel of the Lord is believed to often in Scripture be the pre-incarnate version of the Lord Jesus Christ, the second person of the Trinity, and um, because um, he would sometimes manifest himself as, as an extension of God and to, to reveal himself for certain purposes and such. Um, Joshua uh, encountered him. Other people in the Old Testament encountered the angel of the Lord. The angel of the Lord is believed to be a free, um, it's, a, it's called a heliophany is what it is, a manifestation of the sun. Hu, huios in the Greek is sun, or a Christophany, 
manifestation of Christ before he was Christ, before he was a man. So hopefully that can bring some clarity to you. Um, we are Trinitarians. We believe in one God um, who is three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And those manifestations can appear um, in, in that case. So, My name is Barb. And um, what really struck me from this study, first of all, was um, how small my God was um, and how I thought in my own arrogance that, oh, I know, I know God, I know these things. And it was pretty humbling to um, study the different attributes. And we had an opportunity this last week to go up into northern Minnesota and really experience the majesty of the Lord from the breaking of the waves against the shoreline from mm -hmm. Lake Superior to sitting on a beach listening to looms and watching the sunset on Lake Bemidji where no one was around yeah. to going to the headwaters of the, of the Mississippi River which was immensely packed <laughs> mm. but finding one tiny little spot where there was no one and a little stream of water yeah. so that really struck me about his majesty yeah yeah and I regret um, I, I'll teach on his majesty that is a majestic um, attribute to talk about in fact there's songs written about it. a wonderful wonderful song is majestic sweetness sits enthroned and and that is a reference to God uh, and his majesty and you see his majesty often in the created order, like you said. I remember when we first, um, <clears throat> Sarah and I and family, we went to um, Glacier uh, National Park. And, and you want to talk about majesty and these mountains, which just draw you in and just, you know, you just almost feel the weight of them. And that is God's majesty revealed in the, in the natural order. Um, but yeah, you kind of, work through that lesson on your own even though we didn't see that you're putting now together other things that that are showing you to be true about God and that's really um, that's really an evidence of growth in, in you and um, I, I appreciate hearing that and I want to tell you um, every time I review the attributes of God I you know again God is limitless right he's eternal and so it shouldn't surprise us that we learn something new each trip through and I don't, um, I don't remember if it was this service or the last one where somebody said, can we do it again? <laughs> Let's do it again. Um, and maybe we will. Maybe we'll put a few other series, uh, you know, between it. But um, it is helpful. If you want to take these further, you, there's a lot of works out there as well. Um, I, you know, you, you heard a few that I quoted here. Uh, Tozer is great if you can get a hold of his two-volume series on the attributes of God. And I'm just taking, stealing little bits and pieces of it to, you know, get through a service at, you know, 30-minute, 40-minute um, little chunks. So thank you for that. Yeah, that's, we're all learning. Hi, I'm Annette. Hi, Annette. And um, I believe in the power of prayer. But after studying the attributes of God, um, when I, I learned that instead of being disappointed when my prayers weren't answered, I was thankful. Mm. And yeah. that was something that he revealed to me during this study. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, that's good. Um, yeah, and it should hopefully cause us to pray differently as well. I mean, think about it. You know, we talked about, we talked about the puny God syndrome, right? Could that be why some of us have a puny prayer life? Because, well, I mean, God, I mean, he's hopeful, he's helpful on a good day, but is he sovereign? And when you learn that he is sovereign and, and he is aware of every single detail of your life and everybody's life, that kind of makes you pray a little bit differently that now I'm praying to a sovereign God. And, and the, the puny gods kind of get toppled over, and now it's a big God. And so then I think to your point, you can rest now in the fact that, and of course, he'll always answer prayer. He answers it always in three ways, right? Uh, yes, no, or not yet. Wait. And so some of that is what you're probably experiencing there, that the contentment now, knowing the goodness of God also, that he only means good for you, and that he only means your, your ultimate development as a, as a Christian, that even his answers of no, well, I really wanted that. Well, in his wisdom and his omniscience, we can trust that there's a reason why he is not allowing this to happen in my life right now. And so we rest in his goodness and his mercy and grace and other attributes that we know to be true about him. So good. I'm glad. Thank you. Yes, yes, don't be afraid for the big ones either. And we've seen God move mountains, I mean spiritual mountains, in our lives when we finally get serious and we get flat on our face before God and say, God, you must move! And he moves. So, yeah, very mysterious. JJ. My name's my JJ, yes. <laughs> Good morning to everybody. I really appreciate uh, the opportunity to uh, go along with you and study the attributes of God. Uh, it has enlarged my vision of who God is and what God is. I appreciate the redemptive wrath that we talked about. I mean, uh, grace is something that I needed in my life and we all need in our lives. I understand today um, a little bit more of God's plan in the suffering that I've gone through in my life, um, the suffering that I've placed on myself in my life. Um, I understand his abandonment that he allowed me as I was in my sin and he allowed me, he says, okay, go ahead. You want to go there? Go ahead. And now he has given me grace to bring me to a place where I can be used. Um, when I go out and study uh, I find myself writing more notes. You know, we t you and I talked about that yeah, last week. Your notes, yeah. I find myself doing that, and now I find myself doing the week studying my notes, and that's unusual for me because I don't really, really do that a lot. But it has become habitual in my lifestyle today, and I appreciate that God took, allowed me to go my course. You and I talked three weeks ago about how God lets his winds go and touch where he wants. Yeah. And I was like, well, why, why didn't you touch my life years ago? Yeah. And now, as I understand the redemptive power and the redemptive wrath of God, yeah. I understand how important it was for me and us to go through the things that we go through mm -hmm. in order to be used by God today. 
And I think that's really powerful in my life. And that's just a recognition of what I've learned through, through your studies. And I appreciate God using you in a way that has enhanced my belief and my growth in God. Oh, well, thank you so much. That's, that's such a joy to hear that. And, you know, there's a scripture. Jesus said that he who has, has been forgiven much loves much. And, and that, that really goes to the challenge sometimes of, of um, you know, why did I have to go through this, God? Why, why couldn't you? I mean, I, I say this myself. I don't know how old you were when you became a Christian, but uh, I, I was 19. And you say, wow, well, that's pretty good, Eli. Got a lot of life ahead of you, right? But I'll tell you, I, I lived a lot of darkness up until that point, And I would have, in my in my limited wisdom, I might say, well, couldn't you save me at 16? I mean, are, is there any 16-year-old here today that's saved? And you, you probably won't go down the, the road that I did, but why did I have to go down that road? But I will tell you what, I've been forgiven much. And so maybe I would love, I don't know, would I love God less? I don't know. Does a 16-year-old love him less than a 19, you know, it, it, who came to faith at 19? I'm not saying that, but um, again, it's that mystery that God takes the darkness and the, even the evil and sin in our lives and he turns it into good and then another comment on that uh, jj is second uh, corinthians 1 where it says um grace to you and peace from god our father and the lord jesus blessed be the god and father of our lord jesus christ the father of all mercies and the god of all comfort who comforts us in our affliction so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort which we ourselves are comforted by god he lists comfort there like eight times. And, and what he's saying here is, I, I'm putting you into affliction here. And, and then I'm going to comfort you. And then you're going to come out of it shining as sons and daughters of light. And then you're going to go and comfort other people. So there's just purposes that are happening that are so far beyond all of us in these, in these realities, even of suffering, even of, of um, difficulty. So good. Thank you. Great comment. We haven't been singing that much as yeah. a group or anything. So well, well free, feel free right now. Go ahead. <clears throat> no, that's <laughs> a little rusty there. <laughs> um, you know, my family will laugh, but, but as a counselor, I'm always kind of reframing things in my head. And, and, and a lot of this, the last few years, the Lord has really shared with me that, like we were talking about, you know, I'm praying for this, and this doesn't come to fruition, or it does. Um, I've just been really saddled with the idea that a lot of times when I don't feel led a certain way, the Lord's just saying, you're fine either way. And, and, and that, you know, and those are my own words, but, but that's what I've really boiled it down to is, you know what? <laughs> Why are you worrying about it? What are you doing? You know, it, it doesn't matter which way it turns out. Boy, I love that. And I can really relate to that. You know, especially, well, especially as I look at chapter two of, of our lives and, and where God would have us. And you can, if I haven't asked you already, I'd ask for your prayer in that. Um, and, you know, sometimes it comes down to that. If things are not sin and they're not clearly revealed in his word as, you know, a path we ought to be taking, that he might just be saying you're free you're free to do either one enjoy either path 
and uh, don't beat yourself up on it and don't look back and, and, and press on. So I appreciate you saying that. That's kind of right where I'm at as well. Um, I seem to be there a lot too. I'm just saying. But, okay, in the back, yeah. I was just going to comment that um, studying these attributes of God, um, there's been a, a few times along the way where I've commented to people in, in years past that these core doctrines of our God is that they are the defense that we have for when the times of trouble or whatever you want to call it come along in life. And so having gone through these attributes with us now, everybody is, a, is, is more equipped then to um, take care of our own hearts with these truths as life happens, but also those around us, people that God brings across our paths. We, we have at the ready now um, reminders and, and verses and, and truths about God that we can lay in front of them either to remind them or introduce them to, um, to Jesus. And so mm -hmm. I'm thankful for all of this time, and, and I'm sure we, we all are. So it's just those, those are the things that we come up with when, when somebody's struggling or, or even when it's going very well to mm -hmm. praise him because we, we were reminded of who he is. So Joseph had a question he yeah. came up with on his own. So. Hi, um, I've been wondering, how did we learn the language of the Bible? Like, how did we come up with it and translate it into English? Wow, that's a good question, Joseph. Wow, you're sharp. Um, so God... God revealed himself in the language of Hebrew, and it was, the, it was the spoken and later written language of the Hebrews, his chosen people. And that's, what, that's where it started. And then, so that was written down on what is referred to as uh, manuscripts, really, for, for our modern-day terms. And those... Um, those strokes and letters and all of that would, would have sounds associated with them, and, and that's how that ultimately became a written language, obviously an oral language in, uh, initially. And then Greek, um, it's interesting that God revealed himself in the language of Hebrew to the Jewish people first, and then he preserved that, and then he revealed himself in Greek um, almost as if to capture people who were not Jewish people and who didn't understand that language of his original revelation. And the bottom line is, is so that people like you and I could understand that. And that, that's why he did that, so that we could read about him and his character in the language that we understand. From there, godly men um, studied those languages so that they could master them and really understand them and then they would make translations and that would be so that if you didn't speak Hebrew and you didn't speak Greek we could then translate both of those language into say for example English or Spanish or wherever we would find ourselves and good godly um, men and even today women who have who have done this linguistic study here can then write in the languages of tribes and people and then that's how we get all people of all races, of all tribes and places that can 
have a Bible in their own language that they can read. So just a reflection of God's grace, and he gives us the mind to understand that. And I love linguists. I love people that study at that level. Uh, makes my job a lot easier and makes you in the pew, you know, we take it for granted that you can just pick up an English Bible. It wasn't always that way. In fact, there were times it was illegal to have an English Bible. Um, so good question, buddy. And um, yeah, so we should never take that for granted. Appreciate that. Okay, so Joseph got us on another track, and I'm staying there because I don't think I totally got that answer. Okay. Um, so, I, I, I'm, you know, my knowledge here is so limited. So I understand that that the different writers of the chapters of the Bible wrote it down in Hebrew, but are you saying that then somebody wrote the same thing down in Greek? I don't get where you got where oh, that good. came Oh, good. Thank in. you. Um, so the Old Testament, Genesis to Malachi in our Bibles. Um, was written in Hebrew. And then um, Matthew to Revelation was written in Greek. Now there's a third language called Aramaic, which shows up in the book of Daniel a couple places. It's very much like Hebrew. To the naked eye, you wouldn't be able to see the difference. So there's three original languages of the Bible. And then copies were made of, of all of that. And then, so, you know, this was, this was progressive revelation. It didn't all just drop out of heaven. And, and so the prophets and such would, would write. Moses, obvious first five books of the Bible, would write that uh, uh, as, as God revealed that, as God breathed that, that out. Um, uh, according to uh, 1 Peter and uh, 2 Timothy, God breathed his very breath, uh, his words. And so um, that revelation stopped with the book of Malachi in Hebrew. And then there were about 400 silent years in, in world history that God did not reveal himself. And then he revealed himself again um, in the New Testament uh, with the Greek language. And we see that in Hebrews 1. Um, you'll be familiar with this. <clears throat> it says, God, after he spoke long ago to the fathers in the prophets in many portions and in many ways, in these last days has spoken to us in his son, whom he appointed heir of all things, through whom he also made the world. So Christ himself is a form of revelation. And of course, those disciples would, would capture under the inspiration of God, capture what Jesus said. That's how we have the gospels. And then um, the apostle Paul, who had direct revelation from God, would also then write. And, and all these men in the New Testament wrote in Greek. So two languages in our Bible, Hebrew and Greek. So why Greek? Why weren't they in the same region? Yes. That, um, why, why Greek so instead some, of Hebrew? So there's some world history that has um, to, to come into play as well because God's not revealing himself in a vacuum. As you know from Greek history, Alexander the Great came through and he conquered all of these areas and he forced the language um, to be Greek. So, um, you know, depending on where you are at in history here, you had some liberty. You could... And, and Jesus even did this. You see some different languages that Jesus spoke. And, and so they wrote in Greek because they were writing to their um, other, other countrymen who only knew Greek by force, by their upbringing. And the Jewish language was sometimes forbidden in certain places. And so they would adopt the, it's called Hellenism. That's the uh, making Greek out of Jews basically forcing them to be non-Jewish anymore. So they would grow up never learning their native tongue or at least never being allowed to speak it. And they would become bilingual, which 
is something very special in our area, but it's kind of routine in, in that day to have, you know, trilingual, being trilingual and such, or even more. So, um, yes, and then those, those languages were then, I think another reason why he chose this is that the form of Hebrew and the form of Greek is not, it's called Koine, Koine Greek, and, um, and, and the Hebrew is a Hebrew that is not really spoken anymore. And so I believe what God was doing is he was locking his word in place. And, and the Greek, the Hebrew in the Old Testament is not spoken. It's kind of like uh, the best illustration I could say is like the, the classic King James English. You could understand it if we spoke that way, but I wouldn't say thou needest to, you know, open thine heart and be like, what, what, what kingdom did you just come out of, you know? And so God locks those in, the Hebrew, and he locks the Greek in, I think, to protect his word and to preserve it. And then it can be translated from that point out. So is that getting at what you're itching at there? Okay. Yeah, I, I just have no idea what's being asked, and it's, the tension is killing me. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm just going to say thank you. Um, I was very excited to do the attributes of God. I know that, um, like, with our Sunday school program and stuff like that, um, they, we generally, whenever we go through the Bible and stuff, we try to highlight, you know, an attribute of God. It's so important with so many different religions and just even having, you know, family members that believe in a God that's not a God. So to really go through and define our God as well, as much as we can, but to know the true God is like, it's refreshing. It's uh, like, seems like it plucks out wrong, you know, ideas and views that, you know, you've had and um, just, yeah, so I, I appreciate that, and also appreciate, like, during this time and stuff like that, to be reminded of that. It was a breath of fresh air to to listen to the sermon each Sunday and just to be renewed and all that, so yeah. really appreciate it. Well, good. Thank you so much, and um, yeah, I hope, that's, hope that resonates with all of you, and don't stop here, you know. Um, I did have an agenda starting with that because I feel, I feel this way, that if I can sell you on the true and living God, I can then sell you on everything else he has for you. Because if you've, if you've, if you've bought off on who he is and his person, then, then there is a trust now that can come with everything else that he has to tell us and that he has in store for us, and, and it's unfathomable. But I will tell you this, that there are people who choke on some of the things we've studied here, and they absolutely refuse to, to acknowledge that. Uh, very frequently his sovereignty in people's lives is something they just don't want to have because they want to be sovereign and they they want to control things we're, we're control freaks at heart and really god will have no competition or god's holiness when we really talk about that and holiness which means wow be holy for i am holy i am to be holy and some people just say you know what i like this illicit relationship just a little bit too much to have a holy God and, and a righteous God. Um, and, and some choke on other attributes. We say that the attribute of God's love is so very um, received by so many, and it is, but it's misunderstood by many as well. And yet there's some uh, children who have, who have had fathers who have never modeled God, and you say, you're going to tell me my heavenly father loves me? Are you kidding me? Do you know what I've lived through? And so there are these attributes that people just get really hung up on, but, but when we see them properly in light of Scripture, it is the key that unlocks really everything else. See, there's another course I'd love to do sometime, and it's kind of a, 
it's kind of, a, if you will, the attributes of man. It's, it's not titled that, but I've titled it Dignity and Depravity. That, you know, the question, the age-old question, is man born basically good or is he more born basically evil? And I take all the components of man, but I could not teach that without first establishing God and, and his rule in our lives. Because if I taught you some of the things about ourselves, naturally there's just this proclivity to say, uh-uh, not talking about me, that's not me. But when you see yourself in light of God, you say, yeah, because I've seen God, and now I can see myself. So that was my goal in this, that, that we get into deep, even deeper things. So, All right, guys. Well, you are a wonderful group. Um, can't wait till next time we can do this. Um, I, I don't believe I'll be here next week. Uh, Sarah and I are going to take a little bit of time off and maybe try to get into the hills or do some projects or something. And then I, um, I want to be back the following week, be in prayer. But I think we're going to start some uh, exegetical studies and work through some some books of the Bible. So, uh, since God is everywhere, uh, He's omnipresent, um, and He's a just God. Why is He allowing all this strife and ugliness in our country today? Why doesn't He just stop it and take us home and? punish everybody else yeah yeah well good question um it kind of is related to that last question um and and uh i i believe you know paul paul in romans speaks about uh, a reference to the fullness of the gentiles coming in and we we want justice today right we want this to end and be answered for today and and to be fixed and we want the reign of peace and and um prosperity to to be upon us but don't you know that if we were to if we were to pray that and we can come lord jesus quickly it says in the book of revelation but if we were to do that um do you know any loved ones perhaps that don't know jesus yet and any friends at work or family members that that have not come to him yet um and if we were to stop the whole process right now um, it's very likely they would obviously be left out of this wonderful, wonderful gift that you and I celebrate even today. And so it is a reflection of the patience of God and, and his timing and his, also his sovereign plan that there are people not yet even born who will testify to the grace of Christ. They're, they're not even alive yet. But they will be alive because God is patient, God is waiting, and he's tolerating with long-suffering the evil of this world. And we are suffering along with it. Remember the saints under the altar in the book of Revelation also say, How long, O Lord, until our, our death is avenged? But we must realize if God were to answer that prayer immediately right now today, I have, I have members of my own family who would be forever sealed in their, in their doom and in their fate. And so the, the fullness of the Gentiles takes a long time, and God is not in a hurry. Uh, so, so God is working slowly and methodically to bring people to himself. And again, to have more people praising him around the throne at that final day. And I think we will, I think we will discover that it was worth the wait, especially if some of those dear loved ones of our own have time to come to their senses and, and come to faith. So, good question.
not not to discredit or anything that you said just to add to it but jeremiah 29 11 says for i know the plans i have for you declares the lord plans for welfare not for evil to give you a future and a hope and i think in that god is not it's not time yet it's not time for him to return it's not time for us to to go up to heaven with him there's still more to come and i think that we can look forward to his plans because his plans are for good and not for evil that's really good in reference to his people we will be protected and uh, john 17 speaks of that issue too um, and and he's prayed for us jesus prayed um, for his own people and in verse 9 he says i ask on their behalf i do not ask on behalf of the world but upon those whom thou hast given me for they are thine and uh, he is he is praying that the father would verse 11 keep them in his name and and so there's a protection that we have as well during this uh, difficult time and it could result in persecution but uh, in the end we are sealed by God um, and will be brought to him um, what this will kind of shorten to the fact um, what purpose would God have to keep obeying loving saved Christians alive in today's world when they so much want to go to heaven and they're just laying there bedridden and waiting to die. I mean, mm-hmm. are, what, what are we doing? Are we doing something wrong trying to keep them alive when 200 years ago they would have gone and been with the Lord? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's a good question. Um, medical technology has advanced to a degree where um, yeah, I mean, you can, you can keep what would otherwise, in some cases, be a corpse alive. And there's this whole element of brain waves and electroencephalograms that can detect, you know, whether or not you could even function uh, anymore. But we can keep the body alive. And that is the advancement of technology. That is, uh, that is a display of grace. Um, that um, will have its downside as well as its upside. Um, you know, the book of Revelation says that it is, it is the Father who has the keys over life and death. And yet, he has given us in the medical advancements the ability to prolong life. And, you know, for the Christian... Um, it can become a worldly endeavor. And definitely we see this in the non-believer today, especially with the concerns about the coronavirus and such. And there is kind of a, an expectation that all men have, uh, men and women, that, um, I, that God doesn't have a case against us and that we have a right to keep on living forever and ever, essentially. And we know death will be eventually in our midst, but... There is a, there's sometimes even great offense taken, you know, well, you don't have a mask or, you, you know, and, and I'm trying to live forever here and you're interfering with that. And it's showing that, that man does have, um, have a real problem at heart. But um, we, can, um, we can benefit from a prolonged life. And in the event that, that this is allowing us to have greater and greater service in this world, th- those are things that are... Um, honorable endeavors to to pursue with our loved ones and such you know there's this whole uh, dnr d 
do not resuscitate. We ran into this frequently in law enforcement when an individual said, when my time comes, I, I want to go. Don't hold me back. And many, many godly men of history have, been, have said on their deathbed, don't hold me back, meaning there's ways that you can kind of keep me here. Uh, let me go. Let, let me soar um, to Christ. And uh, Paul, Paul mentions this issue here. I think, I think the deciding factor is, um, is seen in, in Philippians because, I mean, he says in Philippians 1.21, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. And, and there is a gain that is associated with our deaths, but there's also value with our life. And he says, if I am to live on in the flesh, this will mean fruitful labor for me. So some of the factors in deciding those difficult questions are we able to have fruitful labor? And sometimes that fruit can come by your example of endurance and, and uh, perseverance during suffering. And, but, but Paul says it here in verse 23. He says, but I'm hard-pressed. I, I want to live on and have fruitful labor, but I'm hard-pressed because to depart and be with Christ is very much better. And we must understand that when, when we die as a believer, it is better, in a sense, than to suffer uh, in this world. But yet he says in verse 24, to remain on in the flesh is more necessary for your sake. And then he talks about how I will remain. But Paul didn't remain forever. And there was a time in which it's, it's, it's finished and it's, it's complete. So um, I think some of that is taking the wisdom of the medical profes professionals and also the wisdom of scripture that says uh, ha have we reached a point where we can uh, con continue to be useful um, and, and in the sense of, of, a, of a life that is bringing maximum glory to God? Or have we reached a point where we are postponing the inevitable and, and we are, um, you know, whether referring to ourselves with a, with a DNR or loved ones who, who maybe have to have this decision made for them? Um, it's a, it's a delicate issue to be sure, but um, we see it from a biblical perspective that the believer is better off with Christ. So hopefully that was getting at what you had. Did you have anything to add to that or, or take that in the right direction for you? Um, the only thing that I've been able to come up with, because I've seen this a lot in my life, is that I think before you become, before you go to see the Lord, before you die, there's a certain number of things he wants to do in your life to teach you to be more like Christ, because I think that's the goal. Yeah. The only reason I can see that my mom is still living and Greg's dad is still living, and they're both pretty much bedridden, is that there are still things that he wants to teach them, and there are possibly areas of their life that he wants them to submit to God in. and. If, if a person tries to call the shots and not turn everything over to God, and I'm not saying that's what these people are doing, <laughs> um, maybe God is just playing a game, I shouldn't say a game, a strategy of letting things go until they, until he knows that their heart and their spirit has learned all that he wants to teach them. I've seen so many things in my mom in the last five years since my dad mm -hmm. passed away. She thought she was going to go and be with him right, right away. And turns out she had um, gallbladder surgery, and she's lived a lot longer than what she wanted to. <laughs> yeah. 
but I've also kind of seen her attitude change and that she's become more submissive mm-hmm. to the Lord. So that's the only thing I can think of. Yeah. Because, it, because these people I'm talking about, they can do nothing. I mean, they, they can't even basically get out of bed. So how can they be of service? Yeah. So I think it comes to be a um, down to a point of am I ready for them to um, be with me where they don't have anything else new to learn yeah, in this and, life. Yep, and so there's a, there's a couple of factors to consider with that. One is medically, can the human body sustain itself in that situation um, or, or with help, you know? Or are we talking about a comatose individual? So obviously in this situation, your you're, you know, mother being alive and such. The other thing is, yes, God is not finished with me yet, and he who began a good work in me, Philippians 1, will, will perfect it to the end. So there could be things, even in the sense that this individual has not learned yet and needs to come to, which, which are issues of faith. Because uh, I'll tell you, folks, one of the biggest steps of faith is your death and being prepared to pass and make, take those steps. And, and until that person, until God knows that that person is prepared to do that, there's also the sanctification element here, that he's not quite done purifying you yet and preparing you for heaven. And so sometimes that purification process can have you on your back, laying up, looking up at the ceiling, uh, while God is slowly but surely working this uh, in you, maybe more patience, and maybe just uh, allowing you to be the example as well of endurance to children who are watching on and... and um, the attitude that you can display even in some of those difficult uh, end-of-life scenarios. So good question, worth, uh, worth um, thinking about as, as it does impact a lot of us. Okay. I want to add something yeah. to that too, if I may. Um, two men from this congregation was Chester and um, Oliver Wilson. And right to their deathbed, they were witnessing. And, you know, there wouldn't be a nurse or an aide couldn't come into their room but to know that they were a Christian. And then my mom probably hasn't walked for three or four years at least. She's had strokes, and she can't talk very well. But when they were still living in their home, and we were moving, or actually, they had actually moved out of their home, but one of the neighbors commented to us about how they were kind of an example for them in their marriage that they stuck together, and they, he would see them walking down the sidewalk together. Yeah. And they just celebrated 73 years last week. What? Pretty cool. Yeah, and just because it is difficult doesn't mean um, it, it should be done. So keep that in mind too. Yes, sir. Well, I've been making a bunch of notes here this morning. I usually do that. And here's what I come up with, okay? Yeah. So I liked your comment with see God in Christ. That's important because um, when we go back to before he ascended, we have witnesses that's seen him, so we know that he's real. Then, you said modeled in Christ. 
So God is a loving God. God loves us to give us freedom. But I added one thing, because in Scripture, he talks a lot about all. So I added, God loves us to give us all freedom. Freedom to love. But here's another thing he does. He gives us freedom to hate. Freedom to create positive things or freedom to destroy things. Then when you destroy things or yourself, he gives you freedom to do a do-over. Freedom is our responsibility. It's a wonderful patience gift from the loving God. Okay? That's very insightful. Thank you. Yeah, that's a, it's a mystery what some people do with that freedom and ability uh, as well. And some people use that freedom for good and noble and righteous things, and then others will will uh, use it for destructive purposes, and, and we see that as well. And I think we see that in our own lives also, do we not? Um, I know that just in my, what's that? Yeah. And, and I see that in my own life, even in my marriage, where I can love my wife and I can treat her as the precious woman she is, tender. I can display the attributes of God's love and kindness and, and richness to her. Or I, I can offend her. And, and there's times, because of that sin nature still in me, I, I'm, I'm like, why did I just say what I just said? And where does this come from within me? But then that ability for, like you said, the do-over and the restoration and, and coming back and the reconciliation that was read uh, this morning, modeling that even in our own lives. So that's insightful. I know Al had a question I wanted to uh, address here. Um, this, is, this is a very interesting one. Well, anyway, uh, I asked Levi, Levi last week this question, Eli, I'm sorry, uh, question last week because I knew it would be something he'd have to study a bit. Um, we all run into situations where people are not, they're angry at God. And in this particular situation, the individual I know, uh, her son committed suicide. And so how do I do... A, I want to be a proper witness to this, this this individual, and how do you present the balance between a just God and a loving God? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, suicide is a very complicated uh, reality. It, suicide is documented many times in the Bible. Um, uh, King Saul, uh, Judas, uh, and, and others who take their own life and I think I think where we begin with this whole process of how, how does God view this and then how should I help those who have suffered this um, common common reality in the law enforcement profession we are called to these situations very regularly um, and I think we, we we do well to kind of look into maybe what causes or, or what brings people to that point. It is the hopelessness that often they are that they feel, which is a real hopelessness. There's an answer to it. Of course, that answer is in, in a relationship with Christ, but apart from that, people are on their own. Those that commit suicide are often um, very lonely and disconnected individuals who have separated from that relationship. And we're, we're speaking of the relationship of love here. 
and the love which the son has for the father and the father has for the son in this close, close, tight relationship. Um, where in a family where that is to be modeled, that, that is not always the case. And, and so there's a sense of a, a lack of that love and a separation that comes as a result of that. That can be um, uh, one, one reason there. And sometimes also people who commit suicide, um, it, there's different reasons for every situation, but oftentimes it is a, it is a lashing out in revenge. I've seen this happen as well. Um, you know, look what, uh, look what I can do to you. Look, look, at, look at the pain that I'm in and, and the pain that I can put on you. And so it's, it's, a, it's a result of that. And sometimes also suicide is just uh, not necessarily wanting to die. I've talked with a lot of people who are at this point. They don't want to die in some cases. They just want to be, to, to be in different circumstances and have the situation be different. So I think, um, I think that needs to be, first of all, viewed properly. It is not the unpardonable sin. I want to just say that. Um, the Roman Catholic Church has um, painted this as a mortal sin, uh, one that uh, you know, is essentially un unforgivable. I say this because uh, um, all sin is sin. Now, different sin has different consequences, and this has a very serious consequences. You're not coming back after suicide. And suicide does reflect a certain degree of lack of trust in your Heavenly Father who will see you through to the end. But I want to tell you, um, a, a very close friend of mine committed suicide. And uh, he studied at the same seminary that I studied at. And he was a Los Angeles police officer for the same duration of time until he took his life that, that I was at the time. And um, it, it, it's very, very complex, but, but to, to, you know, we do this with divorce as well, right? You know, and make people kind of wear a scarlet letter in the church, right? Because you've been divorced or, or whatever the case is. And, and I think it starts, to, to answer your question in a long roundabout way, it starts with understanding that, that love really needs to be at the, at the root of relating to all, all of this and and that is possibly what caused that individual or lack of and and yet that is that individual's choice and should not be uh, placed as if it's somebody else's fault they they made that decision but modeling the love of God modeling the love that is seen in Christ to individuals re, uh, remaining victims of of this um, you know unfortunate situation um, and then um, the issue of justice, how does it balance with justice, is that, uh, I mean, uh, Job even says, shall not the judge of the earth judge justly? He will judge justly. And you can ask the question, what about my friend who is a believer in Christ and who went to the same school that I went to and who had the same profession that I had? Uh, where is he and how is he right now? And a lot of these things... Uh, we, we leave into the hands of God who judges justly. We, we can't make a, a righteous judgment on that, and so we ought not to. But we base it on things in the life, and, and so I, I look at the life prior to, but you also don't know what happens right at that moment of passing either, because 
Romans 8 says, all who call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. And if I, if I had time to describe the situations of, of, of my friend's last moments, I had no question that, that he called upon the name of the Lord. But um, it, it, is very, it can be very presumptuous, and I would caution about this very thing because it can be pre presumptuous of you to weigh in too heavily on where this person is or what the, what the situation was that, that led to this. And we reflect mercy and we reflect grace and, and gentleness with those who have, have suffered this and leave those greater matters of final justice and such to God who, who judges justly and, and righteously. So hopefully that answered uh, or, or was helpful to some degree. Um, just understanding it a little bit more and understanding it from the Christian perspective, as with all sin, that it can lead you to bondage. And all sin, any sin, can lead you ultimately to even self-destruction. So by the grace of God, we, we, uh, we persevere. So. Okay, yeah, how about back here? Along these same lines, um, I've heard that God has an appointed time for us to be to go back to him to come to die and we don't know how so in light of someone taking their life in suicide if they didn't do that would it be another way very possibly very possibly um, in my friend's case I had to answer the question um, you know he, he who perseveres to the end will be saved, the scripture says, Revelation 4. He who perseveres to the end. And could it be that my friend persevered to his end? Um, and I don't know. Now we're getting to those mysterious, had he not, how, how would he have lived and, and, and such? Um, and, and so I, I, I know him well enough to believe that, that he went as far as he could humanly in, in his own person with, with the strength that he had. Um, and it's a very, very sorrowful thing. Now, had he not, um, I will tell you this, um, he would have gone to prison. And I think he just in his mind at that moment said, I can't do this, even though he probably could have done it. He probably could have went to prison and persevered in prison and left those final matters to God. But, but he has to now answer to God for that in, in, in how he stewarded his own life. So um, tough stuff here. Yeah, it's, but this is raw. This is gritty. This is life. This is where we, we live and move and have our being each day. So good question. I hope, hope that's helpful. Um, probably could have done better. <laughs> Okay, how about one more before we close? And do you have another question there or anyone else itching? Yeah. I asked that question in Bible college about suicide and they explained it to us at Frontier, Dr. Seymour did. Um, like in John chapter six, it talks about what, what the father gives the Christ. Christ will never lose. Mm -hmm. And it doesn't matter what we do in this life, he will never lose us. My uncle was a doctor and he committed suicide. Um, 
in 2010 and he worked 72 hours he could help people but just couldn't help himself and uh i know he started going back to church um i know he was a sick man but i also know in my heart i know he's in heaven because he trusted jesus christ as a savior and i take that scripture to the bank where it says christ will lose no one even if it is suicide but we'll raise him up on the last day and so um you know one other thing to think of is second corinthians 5 10 we must all appear before the judgment seat of christ that each one may be recompensed for his deeds in the body according to what he has done whether good or bad and so sinners who can be in christ can make bad decisions and of course they 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 answer for Okay, one last one there, did you have? Actually, it's not a question. It's a word of encouragement. Um, you know, I would hate for any of my brothers and sisters who are undergoing a lot of pain or, or struggle to gather from this conversation that it's okay to take your own life. Um, Paul the Apostle wrote in one of his letters, he said, uh, I've, I have uh, fought the good fight. And he didn't say, I have thrown in the towel. Okay, that's not our freedom, okay, to do, right? Our, our duty to Christ is to live our life in a way that glorifies him, okay? We don't have the freedom to decide for ourselves when that ends, okay? He will decide for us, probably already has, and uh, on the other side of that is glory. So wait for your turn. Amen. Amen, brother. Good, good words of encouragement um, to close on. Okay. Yes, one more up here. Ted. I'd just like to know if you would repeat this. Because as a teacher, a retired teacher, you hear it and it's gone. But if you repeat it, it will stay with us. So I would love to see you do this whole session again because oh, wow. I missed half of it because I'm not an online person or oh, anything like yeah. that. So streaming and stuff, I didn't get, I didn't even know you were on until all of a sudden I come here and I go, oh, I love this, you know. And, but um, I would yeah. just say if you'd like to do this again, I would, I think all of us would love it. But thank you. Well, that is really a, a compliment. Thank you. Um, yeah, I think we did a few of those online. Um, uh, maybe, maybe so I know sovereignty was online. Holiness was online. Um, I don't know how long did we do that? Maybe three or four weeks. So they're all there though, right? I think they're all still up. So we could do that again. And I would love to do it again. Maybe put some time in between it. There's so much else we we want to um, cover as well. And you can be in prayer for me. I'm I'm. Um, I'm working in my mind out um, a couple of ideas where we're going to go from here. And uh, I would like to get into a kind of a verse-by-verse -verse study approach to some things. I think that is a different way to teach, and it allows um, a little bit of a, you know, seeing the Scripture unfold in front of us. I think you're going to like that, and you can pray for me about that. Um, but I did, I mentioned that I did have an agenda here in, in doing this because I think if we can nail down some of these attributes in our mind about our great and awesome God, 
it affects so many things in our lives. It affects how we live our life and how much encouragement and strength we have. And, and this, is, this is such a minimizer of, of um, the, the wrong response to um, difficulties and disappointments when we understand them in light of the character of God and that he's working in us and, and developing us to be everything that we need to be in him and that his power lives within us. Uh, but, but we need to know what that power is, right? And, and so hopefully that, uh, that has been a way in which it can encourage us in our Christian walk as well. So I'd love to do it again. Um, I always love talking about God, and uh, we, can, we can certainly look at that possibility. Okay, guys, you're a great bunch. Uh, we're going to do the Q&A again the next service, and we'll probably have completely different questions, but... Uh, We'll, we'll see how it goes. And this betters me. Thank you. It, it gives me an idea of where you guys are all at in your minds and in your walk. And I love the insights that all, you know, I don't have to have all the answers. I love every little bit of insight that, that came our way today. And we as a body can grow together this way. And I think we should do this again. Do you agree? I mean, we'll, we'll just continue and, and uh, help each other in this way.